Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Agrita Dandrell, and you're listening to the Mindful of Everything podcast, which calls for revolutionary healing of self and community in order to outgrow our broken culture of radical individualism and disconnection from community to collectively re-envision a safer, healthier, and equitable world. Today we're joined by Snigda Nandipati. You know, one of the biggest pieces of advice that I I got from my mentor, who's a doctor, he told me that this is a piece of advice that he got from his mentor, who got from his mentor. The biggest thing for medical providers, when they go into a patient room, first thing to do is to grab a stool or grab a chair and sit down, get eye level with the patient. So you're not talking down to them. You're not, you don't look like you're in a rush. Like the fact that you're taking the time to sit down and talk to them at eye level, just psychologically even makes all the difference that you know this provider is taking the time to sit down and listen to me and he's putting in or she's putting in this time to to listen to my concerns and they're going to put in this effort and do all that they can to take into account my fears and hesitations and they will take into account those things when they're helping me. Snigdar is a patient advocate, writer and first generation Telugu American with a strong curiosity for the sciences and a deep appreciation for the traditions of her Hindu culture. As a former Scripps National Spelling Bee Champion and Yale graduate with a BS in Neuroscience, Snigdar has used her study of science, language, spirituality and culture to guide her through leadership. She's delivered a TEDx talk exploring the intersections of science and tradition and makes her authorial debut with A Case of Culture, a book about how patients from different cultures navigate the challenges of Western medicine. Hello, Snigda. Thank you so much for joining us in this space today. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much. Before we dive into this conversation, which I know is going to be really medicinal, I would love to take a few deep breaths with you, ground ourselves in slow living, essentially. It's a practice that I think really just embodies slow living. So if that's okay with you. Yeah, absolutely. When you're ready, you can slowly close your eyes. Allow yourself this time to notice. Notice your surroundings, the seat beneath you, the ground beneath you. But most importantly, yourself. The emotions that you've been feeling lately or even today. The energy within your body. You can place one of your hands on your heart or your stomach or you can cup your hands on your lap. Whatever allows you to feel that energy.
Now in your own time, take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. Take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. Take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. Take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. Deep breath in and a deep breath out. When you're ready, you can slowly open your eyes. I hope that allowed yourself that space to just tune in with yourself. That was wonderful. Great to hear. So, Snigdar, there's so much I would love to talk to you about today. But to really start the conversation, we would love to hear what really brought you to address the cultural divide within healthcare, particularly in Western nations, both as a medical professional, but also as an author, now that you've written your wonderful book, A Case of Culture. So we'd love to hear your you know, backstory into how you came about to address this. Yeah, um, I mean, I would say there were a lot of different factors that ultimately motivated me to write this book about this specific topic. Um, well, you know, one one thing um, is being a child of immigrants and, uh, you know, being born into this dual culture. So I was born and raised in the United States, but my family uh, immigrated here from India, specifically from Andhra Pradesh in the south of India. And when they came here, they brought with them their language, their religion, their customs, their culture, traditions, all of these things that had been passed down from generations and generations and have made their way to my brother and I. And, you know, there's this sort of innate responsibility that's, you know, placed upon us to continue the traditions of our ancestors, you know. But the difficult thing is finding a balance of that with the Western culture that we're brought up in. And, you know, one of the very difficult things very early on is that balance when we start going to school, right? We're exposed to all of these very different and sometimes opposing ideas to what we grow up with and here at home. And so a lot of that early childhood, early life was about, I guess, sort of trying to um, find a good balance between those differences without assimilating completely or without being completely separate from the Western culture. So trying to find a, a good balance of the two. As for that applying to healthcare, this was, you know, the seeds for that were kind of sown pretty early on. I mean, so growing up, we 
rarely ever went to the doctors. I mean, my parents almost never did. It was this kind of this thing within our family is just, I don't know if it was a distrust of the doctors themselves or an unfamiliarity with Western medicine that made them reluctant to seek out, um, seek out help or just like this, maybe this, they felt this need to, you know, to preserve and continue the tr- the healing traditions of our ancestors. So, you know, in, in my household growing up, we never really took medicines like Tylenol, never Dayquil, never. Like instead we would just use kitchen ingredients that we had around, you know, like turmeric and basil and um, like cardamom, black pepper, all of these different things. Like my mom would make into a kashayam, which is like herbal tea. And, you know, every time we were sick, we would use those. And only when we were really, really, really sick, would we go to the doctors. And I mean, my brother and I, we're here, we're safe, we're healthy. And, you know, it was a really big part of our growing up. And I mean, it was really interesting. Like I didn't meet very many other people who had experienced that same childhood and that same upbringing until I started working at the free clinic where I work today. Um, At our clinic, we see a lot of different people from different cultural backgrounds, a lot of people from different countries who, especially during the pandemic, who have come here to the States and have been unable to return home due to travel bans because of COVID-19. So they've been sort of stuck here um, in the country, and we've been providing them with care in the meantime. And when they come to our clinic, one of the first things I notice, besides the, the language that they speak and the language barrier, is the cultural barrier. They are very often sort of unfamiliar with Western medicine and with the type of care that we provide in our clinic. And more broadly in the US. And oftentimes it's a very stark distinction from the healing methods and traditions that they grew up with. And that was where I found I could really relate to them because those are exactly the methods that I grew up with at home, my family practiced. And so I think seeing that, you know, that that distinction and um, all of my childhood experiences sort of being brought back and in this completely new and different setting was just really, really mind blowing. And I felt that that was something that I'm sure a lot of other people would relate to. And so that all that being said, that was um, why I decided to explore this topic and write this book. Yeah, I mean, from your personal experiences and also your professional, you understood how important cultural brokership is within healthcare. So Have you seen any tangible changes being made in ensuring that Western healthcare is a safe space for BIPOC patients? You know, it is a place where we can respect both sides, both worlds, I would call them. Yeah, I mean, I I do have to say I'm not not a full-fledged doctor. I haven't worked in a hospital setting yet. I've only ever worked in this free clinic setting. And so we're very small private primary care clinic. And so we are able to make a lot of changes to adapt to our um, local community. Um, so in our clinic, what we've been doing is, you know, we we actually recruit a lot of volunteer language interpreters from the community itself, partly because they have a connection to the community and they understand exactly like the culture that the patients are coming from and are able to, I guess, establish more of a rapport with them. 
also we 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 make sure that we have language resources available in all the different languages that our patients speak and there's quite a lot we have like we have mental health surveys that we give out for every new patient and we have them in about 15 languages right now wow and we see some of the most interesting and unique patient populations i mean um so one of two of our biggest um, patient populations besides Spanish speaking are Mongolian speaking and Nepali speaking. And I've actually before working here, I've never met a Mongolian person and I've only met one Nepali person, Nepali speaking person before. And so I don't know, it's just a very unique neighborhood that we're located in. And I feel like we've been doing some awesome stuff to, you know, make our services as as accessible for our patients as possible. That's really, really lovely to hear. In terms of cultural brokers, just from my sort of my basic understanding of it, we would usually imagine them to be medical professionals who either come from a background that most of their patient base is from, or, you know, they've had those personal experiences, but they are within their medical or psychological sort of field. How can we start to reimagine medical cultural brokership beyond healthcare? And how can we incorporate other people in, you know, for example, cultural and religious leaders? That's something that you've also highlighted in your book, which we'd love to hear. So how can we start to reimagine cultural brokership within medicine that is not just limited to medical professionals? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the, the biggest challenges I had with sort of wrapping my head around when I first started this book is this idea that do cultural brokers have to be both familiar with the medical side and the patient's cultural side, or can these brokers come from anywhere? And is it more about a mindset about how they approach this gap between medicine and culture? And I've like, as I've, um, over the course of writing this book, I've really come to appreciate that it's more of the latter, that it's more of this mindset around how can we make these services most accessible and yeah, most accessible to our patients who come from these different backgrounds. How can we help them feel the most comfortable and, you know, place their trust in this medicine while also allowing them or not allowing them, but like giving them the ability to preserve their own cultural beliefs and um, find that balance with the health needs that they have. And I think to that, there is a huge role in religious and cultural leaders, in community members like these um, volunteer interpreters that we've been having help us out. There's a huge role in the community, even in family members too. Like a lot of patients will undoubtedly take their family members' opinions into, mm-hmm. into account. And so part of um, you know, finding that balance is with medical, like with when those family members act as cultural brokers between their family members, the patient versus the provider, there's a lot of sort of three-way communication going on there. And the key to preserving that is trust and understanding and and empathy, like being able to place yourself in the other's shoes. And um, one thing that I think that the scientific community definitely can continue to improve on is being able to welcome these different cultural beliefs and accommodate them rather than shunning them or, you know, pinning them as separate because they're at odds with what Western medicine or or, or what a Western science or science believes. You know, there's, you know, this is a tension that we're seeing a lot these days with peer-reviewed medicine and peer-reviewed science versus what cultural wisdom has to say. And I personally don't think that they're 
both mutually exclusive. I think that science, Western science and peer-reviewed science has a lot more to do in exploring what cultural traditions have to offer and possibly putting more um, resources and time into exploring exploring these and putting research into these long-held cultural traditions rather than just brushing them off as um, things that don't work. And likewise, I think cultural um, cultural brokers, cultural leaders have to understand that, you know, the world is changing and that what may have worked at one time and one place in one context may not apply in another. And so really being able to understand that the changes in the world and changes in population are directly tied to these changes in medicine. So I think understanding goes both ways. And that is something that both sides need to work on together. Absolutely. And one way I like to look at it when I try to sort of bridge that divide, at least within my family, is just looking at our bodies, you know, our bodies, the human, the modern human body is completely different to what it was thousands of years ago, when our pre-colonial ancestors started these sort of rituals for um, medicine, right? Mm -hmm. And we've come a long way from there. The environment that we're in, we're now in multicultural sort of environments, we're able to travel across the globe. So we're exposed to all these different environmental biological factors, you know, and it's just very difficult to just stick to the practices that our ancestors started. Right. And I think that just helps me to understand that it is really important for us to value both of these worlds and they can come together. It's just up to us to bring them together. Yeah, I would just love to hear how you have these sort of conversations with either your family, people from your community, and just like patients as well. How do you have these conversations? Because I realize a lot of the time in medicine or even in science, the way in which we speak, the language that we use, emotion is completely eliminated from that. It's just more like this is a patient and you just have to find a solution and that is Mm -hmm. it. You don't get to hear their story, hear their perspective, how their standpoint came about and why they are so close to their culture and the sort of practices that they have been taught. Mm -hmm. So how do you have these conversations with people? Right. I think the biggest factor in all of this is time. Mm -hmm. And that's the one limited um, resource, right, is is time. The more time you spend with your patients, the more you get to learn about their story and understand where they're coming from and why they have certain hesitations, why they have certain um, biases towards certain things. And um, you are able to work with them to then uh, properly adjust a treatment to fit both of their cultural beliefs and their health needs. And yeah, I don't know how this issue of time can be fixed (laughs) in the near future, but I know that this is certainly something that is on everyone's minds, particularly in the among a lot of healthcare professionals and providers, is how can we increase the time that we spend with patients so that we can offer the best care and most personalized care. But um, yeah, I really think time is can, can solve everything. But uh, unfortunately, it is something that is quite limited. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of immigration, uh, like you said, your parents, you, you can see the sort of struggles they had in terms of accessing the Western healthcare services that were given to them, as well as balancing their cultural beliefs and practices, rituals. Immigration itself is a powerful force that really shapes your medical experiences and that immigrants specifically 
should not exactly be given separate services because obviously we want this to be inclusive, but that the care that they receive really needs to be specialized, remembering the fact that, you know, they've left their community behind, their homeland behind, and that immigration in itself, it's something that I've talked about in this podcast, can be a trauma in itself. It's a very difficult process, especially if you are coming to somewhere and you don't have that support mechanism, you know, you don't have that family support and you're traveling all this way. And then now you're having to fit into a culture that perhaps is completely different to the one you're used to. So do you think there should be some, some more support for BIPOC patients who are also immigrants? Yeah, um, I, I definitely think that, yeah, immigrant immigrant patients go through so much. And, you know, there's so many factors that impact their health quite directly. I mean, yeah. the, the mental toll of immigration alone is enough to, you know, it's, it's just so much. And, um, you know, we see a lot of that stress and um, all of those factors really manifest, uh, manifest in their physical and somatic health. And so that definitely, I think, making resources available to them, I guess, either in the form of cultural brokership or even something as simple as language interpretation makes all the difference because it's really at the core of it is they are, they're completely leaving their home behind and coming here in search of a new home. And we, the least we can do is make it seem more like a home for them, you know, and like make it a more comfortable and welcoming environment for them. And I think that's something that is definitely achievable and something that we we ought to do for our patients, um, be it in, yeah, either in language interpretation or, you know, increasing diversity of staff, or even something as simple as just taking extra time to ask about, you know, like what their story is, where they're coming from, how has this change been, how it's impacted them and um, their family, and, you know, just really once again, that comes down to the time you spend with the patient, right? And I, I understand it as a very valuable and limited resource, but it is something that really makes all the difference in um, helping these patients feel heard. Absolutely. And before we actually had this conversation, we met um, on Zoom as well. And you were talking about how it's it's quite important to refer patients who perhaps you don't have that cultural understanding with or you don't have that cultural awareness to the point that they will feel safe enough with you. So it's really good for you to refer them to someone like a cultural broker, someone who understands them better. So in terms of like the time restraint that we have, I think a lot of time can be actually saved if those services are available, those people are readily available. You know, at least in the UK, cultural brokers, it's its a completely new term for us, at least for me. Like, I have never been told, told by a medical professional mm -hmm. that I can have this option where someone who understands me, who understands not only my verbal language, but also emotional and cultural language, you know, they understand you can be referred to this person. I just feel as if we invest more time and effort and energy into making sure that these services and these people are available for us, you're going to save a lot of time, you know? So I think it really just does start with building that awareness and allowing patients to know that right. there is an alternative. Mm -hmm. And there are multiple resources that you can consult. And this is one of those additional resources. Yeah, absolutely. Being members of the BIPOC 
community or the community that you're a part of, how do we begin to tend to and repair this medical divide within our own families and communities? How do we begin to have these conversations, these reparative conversations with our family members? Like you said, sometimes patients will favour their family's opinions over medical opinions of their condition or the treatment that they wish to undertake. Yeah, family is just that important. Community is that important. But sometimes it's very difficult for especially patients, perhaps older patients, they are the ones who've immigrated or they are the ones who've spent a long amount of time within their homeland and the customs there. It's very difficult to address that scepticism within them that's embedded within them and to help them realize that you know we're we're not taking sides here we're trying to bridge that divide so how do we begin to have these conversations with those family members or community members that are just like no you know what I'm just going to stick to my tradition oh man it's so hard (laughs) um (laughs) I would say like you know like from a few of the few of the encounters that I've seen, some of the interviews for my book and with my own family, I'd say the biggest thing is, I don't, this isn't always possible. And especially with the pandemic, it's even less possible, but taking that family member with you to the appointment, or especially if you're the younger one and it's an older family member who's like kind of against you doing these things or you know they'll be like okay you won't listen to me fine I told you you know I feel like our parents do that kind of so like in those situations I at least in yeah and so like one thing I've noticed is you know just take that family member to the appointment with you and have them ask all their questions to the doctor directly or to the provider there and then it's not this game of telephone right you're like they're right there and they're able to answer any questions that they may have and sort of address those hesitancies that they have and same thing goes for patients who are you know who are coming from these other backgrounds and who are uh, who tend to be older maybe um, more or less trusting of western medical ways i think you know having bring um, them bringing a family member or someone who can act as this cultural broker to you know sort of explain that divide and not just translate the language per se but also like explain the the medical jargon in terms of in terms that they can understand and put it into context for them i i personally think having a family member there to act as that broker makes so much of a difference because they directly understand the environment that you're coming from and you know, each family is different. Each patient is different. And I feel like the closest you can get to get to that understanding is with a family member. But um, that's for me personally, but um, I, I know that other, other patients have other preferences and, you know, there are some instances in which um, patients don't want their family members to know about their conditions, um, in which case having an external cultural broker is probably a better option. But Definitely having having another person there, I feel like, yeah. helps to to ease those concerns. But I, obviously, there are a lot of limitations to that. But I, I would say that's the ideal. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, I feel like, especially in the pandemic, you weren't allowed to bring in someone accompanying you. And yeah. for me, I've always brought usually my mum. You know, whatever it is, even if I'm like 22 mm-hmm. right now, and usually doctors would look at me like, you're over 20 I think it's okay you can come by yourself but yeah it's true I just like having that extra person with me and it's not just because I feel skeptical about the treatment that I will receive but it it just does feel that 
bit more safe. It's also part of the culture, right? It is, absolutely. We we involve our family in a lot of things and likewise, they involve us in a lot of things. And it's it's something I've noticed is quite different from Western culture. Like even at our clinic, when we get phone calls um, from patients to make appointments, a lot of times for like... um, one thing I've noticed among the the South Asian patients who call is like the the parents will call on behalf of their other uh, yeah. sons or daughters, even though they're like my age. And it's just <laughs> like, I mean, I can totally see my parents doing that too. It's just part of the culture. And, you know, because they want to like feel like they're still doing their part to take care of their kids and they feel like it's their responsibility. And I totally understand where they're coming from with that absolutely and I feel like cultural brokers also replicate that or they mimic that Mm -hmm. I think that's just yeah it's just a lovely way to emulate the closeness in our communities and the closeness we all once had if you don't have um, that family member who you can bring to your appointment then there should be that extra person that you know that they understand you you know they understand where your concerns right. are coming from. Like be it a family member or, or I mean a friend or like even just like a volunteer yeah. interpreter or you know someone someone from the community. It makes a lot of difference. Absolutely, yeah. On the flip side of it, what do you think are the necessary steps for medical professionals themselves to make sure that the practices that they provide or the even just the language that they use is respectful, is inclusive? And that it really caters for a diverse set of patients. And it's not just a sort of fixed in structure that they apply the framework that they use, you know, that it really needs to be specialized. Every patient is different. We're human. We're not just, I don't know, test subject or something, you know, we, we are, we are human and we all have stories. So from your personal experience and professional as well, what sort of steps do you think that medical professionals really need to take to make sure that healthcare is a safe space for everyone and that culture, immigration, all of these different factors really shouldn't play a part in the quality of service that you receive? Yeah, I think... Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's it's hard to it's impossible to sort of standardize care or like um, you know set a standard mm-hmm. language or like a set of terms that you use for each patient because each patient is different and they have different levels of understanding, different levels of trust, different like experiences that they're coming in with. And really, I think the key to all this is the time you spend with the patient. The questions that you ask the patient and specifically open-ended questions like how are you doing what is you know what is your situation like and like talk to me you know tell me tell me your story tell me everything that's been going on and obviously you need time to have that conversation right and yeah i'd say the time that you have with the patient the questions you're asking them and really really just sitting down and listening to them and physically sitting down um you know one of the biggest pieces of advice that I I got from my mentor, um, who's a doctor, he told me that this is a piece of advice that he got from his mentor, who got from his mentor. But anyway, um, the biggest thing for medical providers, when they go into a patient room, first thing to do is to grab a stool or grab a chair and sit down, get eye level with the patient. So you're not talking down to them. You're not you don't look like you're in a rush. You're sitting there. You're like the fact that you're taking the time to sit down and talk to them at eye level, just psychologically even makes all the difference that, you know, this provider is taking the time to sit down and listen to me and 
he's putting in or she's putting in this time to to listen to my concerns and they're going to put in this effort and do all that they can to take into account my fears and hesitations and they will take into account those things when they're helping me treat um, my condition and I think you know that advice it works like magic I tell you it's it makes all the difference yes amazing I just love how you said the eye-to-eye sort of conversations that's just so important because a lot of the time I feel like whether it's in BIPOC communities or Western, we have this tendency to pedestalize people, you know. So like our communities, we will put community leaders on a pedestal to the point that we don't even regard, we kind of disregard our own sort of feelings, you know, our intuition, etc. And then for secular communities, then you have the mm-hmm. medical professionals, teachers, um, lawyers, you know, all of these professionals that we feel as if we can't, question their knowledge or we can't input our own opinions when in fact all of our opinions matter like you said that sort of eye to eye level conversation is something that your uh, mentor taught you and then that's what his mentor his or hers mentor taught them and etc goes on and that's exactly what cultural and ancestral wisdom is all about is being passed down and we are holding that knowledge we're holding that wisdom we have so much inside of us, so we can't just disregard it and, you know, put someone else on a pedestal. I think that's just so important and that's something that we really need to address as well. Just realizing that we are all human in the end and there's no one person greater than the other. Your knowledge is as important as anybody else's and you don't need to train in that sort of field to claim that. It is already there. So I'm really, really, really happy to hear that. And I I just hope that that's a practice that so many other medical professionals um, embody mm-hmm. because we really need that. We, we need that emotion. We need that human touch, you know, to medicine. And that's it's really, really lovely to hear. Right. Thank you so much, Snigda, for this conversation. Yeah, I'm just truly left so energised by everything you've said and I just really hope that whoever's listening to this conversation gets that power to really address this divide in healthcare for themselves for their communities for their families those people who are aware that both of these worlds they are beautiful they are really important in today's time and that we really need to bridge that divide if we are to address medical issues holistically And we are to ensure a more sustainable and safe future ahead for all of us. So thank you once again for joining us here and for giving us your time. Thank you so much. This was such a pleasure. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Minds Full of Everything podcast. If this episode resonated with you, Please support the podcast by giving a rating on whichever podcast platform you use and share the podcast within your community to extend listenership to those who also connect to the content. Visit mindfuloveverything.com to access Nigda's book, website and services, as well as episode resources.